to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, some big news in your life. Yeah. Congratulations are in order. Yes, thank uh, you. You're, you and uh, Amy are engaged now. Yeah. I know it went down the mountains, but I haven't got the details. Uh, kind of break it down for me. Uh, we were in Telluride, and we've been together a long time, five and a half years, so I think she knew it was coming at some point. But we were on a hike, Blue Lake for, and Bridal Vale Falls, for those of you that have ever been up there. It almost killed me. I'm a big person. I shouldn't be 12,500 feet in the air. <laughs> but on the way down, uh, we got it done. It was nice. Very cool. Yeah, it Very was cool. cool. Well, congratulations on that. We'll jump into some football topics here. We got a lot of questions in our mailbag, as we always do. A couple basketball topics to finish this show off. But it's starting to get exciting here just because camp is around the corner. It starts on Thursday. Players report the day before. Football's in the air. Yeah, most definitely. And, of course, we only get two practices, and I'm in Mexico for one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> such is my life. We'll see. They usually have another practice where they send out a bunch of corporate sponsors and stuff, and Blake Street is a part of that. So hopefully I can find my way to sneak into that one too. Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, football's definitely in the air. Got the season tickets, opened, up, opened them up this morning. Have you seen them yet? I have not. They're, they're pretty cool. They... Did it looked like a partnership with a local children's hospital and did a drawing contest. So all the tickets are like little kid drawings. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I like sweet. that. Yeah, so I haven't seen anything like that before. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Was it? Is it us players or Ralphie? Um, what are the pictures? Yeah it's, of? yeah, it's like football players and yeah. There's a couple of them of Ralphie and just like Folsom Field and that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like that. Well, we've uh, gone on a little break from the podcast. Our last show was in early June. Nine new football commitments since that last show. Tell her, I think it's raining commitments. 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 of one of the all-time favorites <laughs> yeah um i mean i guess it's not surprising now that there's the early um signing day and then also you can start doing official visits a whole lot earlier uh, that the commit lists around the country would start to fill up a little bit more i was actually looking at where we are in the rankings the other day mm-hmm. and it's kind of surprising how many of those how many teams have more commitments than us you know, it's like, oh, do we, are we just ranked this high because we have so many commitments? I would actually say we'd probably be ranked higher if we had more commitments because our average rating is higher than some of the guys above us that have 18, 19, 20 commitments right now. No, still there's going to be schools like Stanford and some of these schools that yeah. will jump them at some point. Yeah, UCLA. And What's I realistic? Utah. I think six maybe? Yeah, that would be – I mean, if you could get six, I think you would have to feel very good about where you finish up. I think somewhere between six and eight is probably what you're going to see. And uh, people are going to think that that's not good enough. But I think if you're somewhere in that range, you're going to be right around that 30 to 40 range nationally, which you would have to feel pretty good about, I would think. It kind of goes without saying, obviously, you got to win some games this year for right. that to, to hold true. Jaron Mangum is the highest rated new commit. Which of the new commits are you most excited about? Um, I just think the whole secondary group, to me, is the most exciting. Obviously, Shadon Brown and Ashley Ambrose and McIntyre as well have done a great job putting that mixture of talent together. 
there's a lot of versatility there, a lot of athleticism, a lot of size. Um, I couldn't say for sure which one of these guys is going to blow up, but out of those six, seven, if you include Farrar, six really, I think, you got to feel pretty good that three or four of those guys are going to be good Pac-12 starters. And, you know, that's always exciting when you feel good about an entire position grouping three or four yeah. years down the line. For some reason, I just have a gut feeling with Don Chapman. I, I, I like his size to be a cornerback coming in into college and kind of how he's a pretty humble guy. Didn't really market himself much. Didn't do any interviews until he announced. Um, I'm intrigued with Mark Perry's speed-size combo. And I feel like Carl Jones is vastly underrated. He's right now CU's uh, lowest-rated commit, and I kind of get that based off his offers. But I like his film quite a bit too. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, this is kind of an interesting class where I think the guys at the top, there's a lot of, Controversy, I guess, isn't really the right word, but mixed feelings about how good some of those guys are. Like, you're going to get some positive feedback and some negative, too. And I think, but I do think most of the guys at the bottom of the class are better than they're rated. Those Don Chapmans, those Carl Jones, even Cameron Ferrar, I think, is probably pretty underrated at this point. He's, I think, our second or our third lowest rated mm-hmm. commit. Yeah, you mentioned Cameron Farrar. If you include him in terms of defensive back commits, because he would be kind of a buff backer if he sticks with it, he's kind of torn between CU and TCU. That's seven DBs committed. And you look at Shadon Brown. Right now he's currently the top-ranked non-Oregon coach in terms of the 24-7 sports Pac-12 recruiter rankings. And Cheverini's is the second-ranked non-Oregon coach on that list. It's a lot of ducks up, yeah. up and down that list, obviously. Oregon putting together a pretty incredible recruiting class. They're currently number four in the country on the composite. We were, from the first time both of us met Shadon Brown, we really liked his energy, Mm -hmm. and it's obviously showing itself on the recruiting trail. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't take long. I remember the first time that we really interacted with him was the recruiting luncheon. Was it last year? It must have been two Mm -hmm. years ago. It was last year. Um, And pretty much half of my write-up, about that recruiting luncheon was Shadon Brown is the real deal. I mean, you don't even have to see him coach to see that he's got an infectious aura about him, for lack of a better term. He knows what he's talking about. People respect him. Uh, Pretty humble guy. Expects a lot, but can reach people. And that's what you need on the recruiting trail. And that's obviously come to fruition. He's been a big addition to this staff. The Buffs have a commitment from four offensive line recruits and just one scholarship offensive uh, senior offensive lineman on the roster, so they're likely done in terms of offensive line recruiting as long as they keep all four of those guys on board. Done at running back, too. I mentioned Jared Mangum. Josiah Davis is on board. So that really goes back to what we've had to harp on so many times in terms of recruiting needs. Defensive line, defensive line, defensive line is what yeah. they need. Yep, pretty much. That's what we talk about time and time again and I understand the frustration behind not getting those guys but I did put up a tweet I want to say it was about two weeks ago now that showed all the defensive line commits in the Pac-12 and seven of the teams in the Pac-12 don't have a defensive line commit and um, I think Oregon State was one of the ones that had four and someone else had four and then everyone else had two or less yeah so it's it's difficult I mean, there's just not that many athletic, huge guys in the world. Defensive line is the most difficult position to recruit to because you have to have a special blend of athlete and size. They're probably going to take, a, you'd imagine, another receiver, possibly another buff backer if Cameron Farrar uh, does not stick. Ron Nunnery is a safety out of Texas that plans to visit in the fall. Uh, so we'll keep monitoring that as we go forward. Obviously, stay tuned to buffstampede.com for all the coverage there. 
A good story come out of the summer was Jake Rubley from Highlands Ranch, a 2021 quarterback that we really loved at CU's camp last year. He was just finishing up eighth grade, and he was the best quarterback at that camp and had a really horrific thumb injury, had a 45-pound plate dropped on it, didn't know you know, really if he was going to be able to throw football again. Went to see a hand specialist in the mountains, and he's made a full recovery, so a cool story there. He goes out to CU's 7-on-7 camp, earns a scholarship there, uh, and he's already got uh, you know another SEC early offer, so kind of pegged as a top target for 2021 already. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that recruitment goes because he's going to be a guy who gets a ton of offers. Uh, we didn't get to see him. He was supposed to come to that second camp we went to this summer. Didn't show up. Uh, well, he went. This, he went uh, with his entire seven on seven right, to the a day, a day earlier yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So it was just. Well, I would have liked to have seen him after his injury just to see if he was still kind of on the same path. But special talent. I mean, he's going to be a guy that you have to feel like is going to be a top one hundred national commit. The way, the way that he's developed so far. This is the quietest offseason I can remember with CU. Just not a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a quiet confidence within that group. There's reasons for optimism, and that's one for me, just that we haven't had a lot of, a lot of the distractions around this program. The suit against McIntyre, Rick George, gets dropped from Pamela Fine, so there's less distractions on, on that end as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think quiet confidence is a good way of putting it. I think it's we're going through kind of a perfect storm of people aren't really believing in this program right now nationally. And these kids know how they're working. And I think within the program, they realize how much talent there is, especially in the younger classes. So I feel, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but this team definitely expects to exceed any expectation that, you know, any national pundits have put on them so far. You mentioned uh, that there's going to be two practices open to the public and media this preseason. The first one's going to be August 4th, so one of their early practices on a Saturday from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And then on August 11th, there's going to be an open scrimmage in Folsom Field at 9 a.m. Which which of those are you going to be in Mexico for? The first one, the fourth. First one. Okay, yeah. well, you get to see a scrimmage, though, mm-hmm. uh, so that'll be good. Now, I'm not going to be a dead horse. Most programs are closing stuff up, so it's not like mm-hmm. CU's alone in that. It's disappointing. We'd love to get in there to see more. And yeah. I know it feeds the fans' interest, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting every practice to be open. It would, you know, I think four would have been a pretty solid round number, but you know, two, two is better than nothing, so I'm not going to complain about that. And like I said, I might be able to get my way into another one. They usually you know, let all those corporate sponsors come in for a practice, too. So. What are you going to be looking at most closely during preseason camp? The lines. Because I really think it's as simple as that for how far this team goes this year. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunately it's tough to really gauge the lines because they're going against each other. So you can't really tell if are both good, are both bad. Is one good, one bad? You know, it's you kind of have to see them go against other competition before you really figure out are the lines going to be improved. But I'm just hoping for a little bit more athleticism, being able to rush the passer. You know, those those type of things. I think that would be huge for this program. Left guard and left tackle should be pretty intriguing. Position battles going on during camp. I think William Sherman and Brett Tons, that's going to probably go down to the wire. Mm-hmm. At left tackle, you've got kind of an interesting situation there with your one scholarship senior and Josh Kaiser, who, you know, is a good leader and has worked his butt off. But you'd want to see Jake Moretti help yeah, me and, and right. take that, yeah, that spot. It'll be an interesting battle. But, I mean, Kaiser was a uh, captain too, right? 
He was not. Oh, he wasn't. But okay. he is known as one of those leaders. In, okay. Yeah. yeah, and it's so it'll be. I'm just curious to see how that plays out, and I mean, he'll handle it the right way. He's been a backup most of his career. He knows how to do that, and you know, most teams don't go through an entire season without some injury issues. So he'll be out there at some point, no matter what happens. But yeah, it would be quite a story to see Moretti come all the way back from not just a you know an ACL injury that was pretty brutal overall uh, to be able to play and start this year would be a special story well they showed a picture of him on Twitter I forget who tweeted it out it was I think a community event and he's still got a brace on that ankle oh, it's yeah. this guy has had quite a long road to recovery and it still seems like it's not quite going to be 100% uh, at least for now but Cornerback will be an interesting battle. You've got four guys that I think if you're a CU fan, you'd feel comfortable with them out there as a starter. Pac-12 Media Day this week, both Rick Gambo and Steven Montez mentioned Delroy Gabrams Jr. is a guy they're really excited that people are going to be excited to see. That one might come down to the water. I'd say at this point, Udofia and uh, Chris Miller probably have to be your front runners there. Yeah, I mean, what's crazy is all of those four groupings. I mean, whoever wins out on that battle next year, you're going to feel really good about the secondary again as well. So. That's an exciting feeling. To me, I'm curious to see how much they use Nate Landman, you know, because obviously they have two senior inside guys, but Landman can be can be helpful, I think, in a lot of slots as well. And then to me, is Davion Taylor fully ready? I mean, if he's ready and comfortable and knows the defense and can, you know, use his speed, make impact plays, that defense could be a lot of fun. What about Javier Edwards? Is, is he ready to be a, a steady force there at nose tackle? We have yeah. seen him shed a ton of weight. He's put in a ton of work. But I think we're all kind of in that let's wait and see it on mm-hmm. game day. For sure. Type. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to. Um, and, you know, Lyle Tuiloma as well. Is he going to be able to come in and make some form of impact between, you know, those two guys? The nose tackle position's got to be improved. And then, obviously, Mustafa Johnson, we've heard – best defensive lineman in camp, well, I'd like to be able to take a look at it and see for myself. Because yeah. if that's true, you have to feel pretty good about the D-line being in an okay spot because I thought Malumba improved quite a bit last year. Um, you would have two serviceable D-linemen, D and all you got to do is look at those nose guys to see if they can improve. McIntyre mentioned Terrence Lang again at Media Day. If he really has bought and is ready to contribute and, and maybe – and Israel Antwine is ready as well. He certainly looks physically ready to mm-hmm. go from the pictures we've seen with the, those true freshmen. I mean, again, it's like I don't think you can predict all these things to come together, but if some of those things on the D-line come together, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that group gets a world better than last year. Absolutely. Uh, what else? I, I think Steven Montez, just if, if, has he truly made strides in his patience in the pocket, his ability to go through his progressions, anticipate throws? How much is he turning the ball over in camp? Has he improved with his accuracy with the deep ball? Yeah, footwork. Footwork. Uh, does the O-line give him time to be patient mm-hmm. in, in the pocket? Uh, and then health, obviously, you talk about that every year with camp, but they really can't afford Evan Worthington or Nick Fisher to go down. Those are, that's the one right. spot they can't afford an injury. Definitely. Yeah, I mean – that safety position is in very good shape right now, assuming those two guys stay healthy. But if one of them goes down, it's going to look squarely in a hurry for sure. We're going to go position by position at some point in August leading up to the season opener once we've actually watched some preseason practices. But we've done those top-ups countdown. We've already kind of analyzed each of these guys, so I don't think we need to go too in-depth on that for our camp preview. The Buffs selected seven team captains. Is that number too high for you? It, seems, it does seem like a lot. <laughs> 
I don't remember that ever happening before. But I mean, I don't know. There's there's probably something symbolic about that. I like how they do it. McIntyre says, "Look, I'm." He did say, "I want four to six and <laughs> they didn't really listen to him there. But he leaves the room. The coaches all leave the room, and Rick Gamboa stands up and says, "Hey, like who feels they can be a captain? And if you feel that way, you stand up and you say why." And teammates give you constructive criticism. You have to have a, a solid leader to facilitate this meeting. Otherwise, it could go haywire pretty quick. But it's, it sounds like it went pretty well. Nick Fisher is one of the captains. Obviously, Rick Gamboa. Aaron Hagler on the offensive line. Alex Kinney, which you don't see a specialist, a punter, you know, get that respect, that honor from his teammates. But I've heard he's one of those guys that just encourages everybody, is always hardworking. So uh, he works for that. Jay McIntyre, KB on Ento, Jawan Winfrey. Jawan Winfrey was the seventh where they were really lobbying because he really wanted that honor. He felt like he had... Uh, he was ready to, to help lead this program. Great maturation process from him. This is a guy that got in trouble at Maryland early on with the JUCO ranks, had the torn ACL. And so it's a cool story for him to get that. I think allowing him to have that honor and have maybe one too many captains is probably a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, exactly. Maybe it's a lot of captains, but I think the honor of a lot of these seniors, Hagler being the only guy that wasn't a senior selected, um, I think maybe symbolically they're trying to get away from that last year's crew and have a different mindset in this program. So as many guys as they can get to buy into that, the better. You've got mail. That segues us naturally into the Buff Stampede mailbag where St. Pete Buff asked, I know it's been debated on this board, but in your and Tyler's opinion, is it that big of a deal that Montez was not voted a captain? I see it as all but one of the players elected were seniors, and the players want a strong foundation of leaders and don't want a repeat of last year's debacle, including captains being suspended before the CSU game. I have gone back and forth on this. Montez has started enough football games, and it's an important enough position that in a perfect world, you want him to be viewed as a team captain by his teammates. For sure. I mean, yeah, I think ideally you want your starting quarterback to be a captain on the team but we've known all along that it's not really his strength as a team leader. I think people are reading into it too much. I don't think people don't like Steven Montez. I think there are better options, and outside of Hagler, all of these guys are seniors. And I think more often than not, being a captain should be designated for a senior. It doesn't always have to be that way, but more often those are the guys that are going to get selected. So, yes, perfect world would be nice to see him be a captain, but... No, I don't think it means the team is falling apart or anything like that. Assuming he doesn't just absolutely blow up and, and leave early for the NFL, that would probably, that's probably not going to happen. If we're sitting here a year from now and he's not a team captain, then are you concerned? Sure, absolutely. Because there's no more excuses. That he's a third-year starter. He's a senior. People still aren't trusting this guy. There's something else going on there. Yeah, it just he's an interesting player both on and off the field. Mm -hmm. You love the moxie. You love the confidence. He's great with the media. He's got all the physical tools. You just wonder, like, is he going to fully mature at some point in college? Is he... His work ethic is great in stretches, but not good in other stretches. You just want more consistency out of him all around, I feel mm -hmm. like. Yeah, no, I agree. Everybody's trying to blame it on his fraternity. Like, I'm not the biggest frat boy in the world or anything, but I think that's a little ridiculous. I mean, I that has nothing to do with it. You don't need to make excuses about stuff when he does outside of football. Yeah, I mean, it's 
you know, he goes back and forth, you know, from being in shape. It seems like, you know, quarterback, you don't have to be a statue, but it would be, it'd be nice to see him perform with a little bit more consistency. Did you hear his comments about frozen pizzas at Pac-12 Media Day? No. He said that uh, before he got in shape, not this offseason, but last offseason, he would eat five frozen pizzas a day. What? Yep. With a big glass of Dr. Pepper, he said. <laughs> <laughs> like slices of pizza? No, Individual like a frozen pieces? pizza. Individual pizzas? What are we talking about? I mean, I don't know the size, but... I need more details. It <laughs> seems like a lot of pizza. All right, well, we'll delve into that further in camp. But <laughs> man, like, you're not going to be in good shape if you eat five frozen pizzas a day. I can't imagine you could get up off the couch if you <laughs> ate five pizzas a day. All right, let's move along. Nippus13 asked, have you gone Todd Graham and installed the hidden cameras in the IPF and outdoor fields so we can have an idea of how players are practicing slash progressing? Sarcasm font. On a more serious note, what are your opinions of who will be QB2 next season? If Lytle and Neuer are even in talent and knowledge of the offense, which quarterback would McIntyre place as QB2? Which would you place as QB2? Well, I don't have any cameras, sadly. I'll see if I can install some in my spare time. <laughs> that would be good for everyone. You might even be able to get away with it. That's a big place. They may never know that you're there. I don't know. I'm hoping we don't have to worry about a QB two this year. To be honest, to be honest, I guess I would say if they're even, you probably go with Lytle. Right. Younger Neuer, I think, is serviceable by any stretch. You can go in and feel fairly confident he's not going to completely destroy the game for you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if if a younger guy is equivalent in all ways to him, you probably got to go that route because the more experience that person gets moving forward, the better long term. I like Sam Neuer more than most CU fans just because in his limited game, game action, he has not looked all that well. But in, when they had open practices, I liked a lot of his skill sets. Uh, but I still – I think Tyler Lytle, as a, at least as a passer, has a higher ceiling. For so sure. if it's even, then, yeah, you definitely – the tie goes to youth, I think, in mm-hmm. that situation. If Sam Neuer is more consistent in practice, you got to give him that, yeah, that job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's not even, you go with the guy who's playing better. Nippus13 also asked, do you and Tyler have any preseason slash fall camp traditions or occurrences that trigger your excitement for the upcoming season? For instance, your intro to your podcast with the audio of significant CU plays always seems to get me pumped up for the season. The answer could be literally anything, but I just watched ESPN's preview music video for the 2018 college football season, and it got me anxious for what's right around the corner. I mean, getting Phil Steele's magazine is always kind of a rite of passage into football season for me anyways uh the day your season tickets come is always a good one as well and then for me because of what i do at work when we start having meetings with all the alumni groups about the upcoming football season and what our specials are going to be and what rooms people prefer and all that stuff it's like a reminder of football being right around the corner so those are the ones that always stick out for me it used to be for me probably 30 minutes into the first practice because they were open. You'd walk in there. You'd hear the whistles going off, the sound of the you know players running around. Like That would kind of like jolt me right into it from summer mode into football. Now that they close them up, it takes a little bit more time for me to kind of get into that mode. Yeah. I'd say maybe when the players start school and they're in more of a structured practice deal and you see that game coming on the horizon. So for me, it's... I mean, I love my job, don't get me wrong, but... Camp can be a little bit of a grind just because a couple weeks in you feel like you've written most of the story yeah. and then you're so it's it's a little bit different but 
uh, as we get close to that season opener, I'm, I'm definitely fully engaged and, re- and ready to go. CT Buff asked, who will lead the team in receiving touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, plays over 20 yards, interceptions, sacks slash tackles for a loss? Want me to go first? Let's okay. Rushing touchdowns. Rushing touchdowns. McMillan probably. I yeah. Mean, I, I feel like that's the obvious answer, but I mean, I think Fontenot will get touches as well. Plays over twenty yards. I say Lavisca should. Yeah, that was going to be my answer too. I didn't know if we would all have the same thing there. Lavisca or Kbion are the two guys that I looked at hard there. It's really just going to matter on how much they actually use LaVisca this year. I mean, Kabion is a big play guy as well, so they'll both be up there, I think. It seemed like every time he was on the field, he made a big play last year. He was at one point averaging something crazy, like 35 yards every time he touched the ball. Uh, interceptions. Uh, Evan Worthington, center fielder for me. You know, I just, it seems to me like he's just a, he, he knows how to get around to the football. Safety is usually... In our defense, the guy who's going to get a lot of those tipped balls. So I, I think Worthington would be my answer. I'm going to say Nick Fisher. He's finally getting his opportunity back there, and uh, he's a playmaker. He doesn't need to be running 105 yards for a pick six <laughs> again in the future. but <laughs> It worked out. It, it did. But <laughs> Barely. He got a tongue lashing from McIntyre afterwards, that's for sure. Uh, sacks. Should we just do sacks, tackles for a loss kind of together? Or? Yeah, yeah, just make it one thing. I think our answer is going to be the same here. Drew Lewis? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think just because the defensive line isn't really designed to be in the backfield, they're supposed to be opening up plays for the guys around them. So we'll see how they use Davion Taylor in that role. I, you know, if it's that could be kind of interesting, but obviously Rick Ambo is not going to be in the backfield a ton either. So I think Drew Lewis is – Kind of the easy answer, I guess. And at outside backer, I think they're going to be rotating because they've got four pretty quality guys there. And a lot mm-hmm. of times you're only putting one of those guys on the field at the same time. I think it's right. going to be hard for one of them to put up the numbers that a Drew Lewis would be on, be on the field. I would guess something like 75% of the time this year. Receiving touchdowns are really tough. I think all four of the top receivers are going to be within a few of each other. Yeah, I would say Winfrey. Uh, just he's a big physical presence. Um I don't know. It just seems to me like he's the guy that they're going to go to in those third and goal line situations. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys or all of those guys ended up with, like, five touchdowns. Yeah. All right. DPU Buff asked, who has shown the most improvement during summer conditioning? I mentioned Javier Edwards. He has really transformed his body, came in at, like, 395 and – I mean, he's certainly never going to be confused and get a six-pack, but yeah. he's it's pretty incredible, the, the, the amount yeah. of work he's put in. He's definitely lost a ton of weight. We haven't gotten to see a lot of these guys yet, so it's hard to really say, but from guys who showed up at those individual camps, Colby Purcell, to me, already looks like the most well-put-together lineman on the team as a freshman, so that was really impressive. And John Van Deest, is the other one. I mean, we hadn't seen him since he got injured. He was at that second camp. Everyone's been talking about, oh, he weighs 235. There's no way. He weighs 235 pounds. And he he looks like a linebacker now. He needed to put on some weight. But, yeah, I was shocked by how much bigger he is this year. Aaron Hagler's name's come up quite a bit. It sounds like he's adjusted to that weight. Even he's packed on five more pounds. So 
Uh, that would be huge for the offensive line. And, and not necessarily summer conditioning. He had shown this in the spring, but Jared Poplowski, while recovering from that torn ACL, has transformed his upper body and is pretty yoked at this point. Ryan BR asked, following up on DPU buff, who from spring ball going forward is going to surprise? Also, which freshman do you anticipate making a splash? I know it's more difficult since there is little slash no access. Thanks. Who is going to surprise? We you talked about him. I think Mustafa Johnson's one guy that's going yeah, to surprise. I mean, people have been saying he'll be up there, but I just think people, you know, if he ends up being the best defensive line on the team, that'd be big for sure. I was talking with a coach at Dave Platy's golf tournament this summer about Mustafa Johnson. Just said, you know, my initial impression is he's not six two like he's listed at. He's he's short, but this coach said that when they measured his hands and arm length when he came in for his visit, that was one of the big selling points for them with him. If you're a little bit shorter, that's not a big deal as a defensive lineman. As long as you have that length, you have the leverage and the length, that's a pretty good deal. Right, it's a great combination, especially when he's not asked to get sacks, really. I mean, he's trying to create leverage and move guys into the backfield for linebackers. So sometimes being shorter can help with that leverage. He's not being asked to make you know, athletic plays where he's looping around linemen and stuff like that. He's trying to be a space eater, so not necessarily the end of the world. Any other guys you expect to surprise? Yeah, I mean, I think Carson Wells. I think the casual fan has never really heard of Carson Wells and will be surprised by how athletic he is. I'm sure one of the younger wide receivers will come in and get more time than people are expecting. We'll see who it is. Could be Jalen Jackson. I thought he looked really good until he got hurt again last year, so if he can stay healthy because of how much talk there's been about Trayvon McMillan that people will be surprised about how good Alex Fontenot is as well um, if that don't follow the program as closely. In terms of young receivers that could surprise, my guy there is Maurice Bell. Uh, in those open practices this spring, he showed quite a bit. He's, he's skinny, but he's a real fluid guy and somebody that is kind of under the radar right now that I think is going to be a good receiver for this program in the future. I have, not for this year, but down the road, once Frank Phillip really, he's got the, the structure. Once he spends a lot of time with Drew Wilson, he's going to be a beast down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw him at, at, at the summer camps this summer. Yeah, everybody, when they signed him, said he's going to play this year. I don't think Not that's quite, really yeah, going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. All right, Colorado Rules asked, thoughts on play evolution to more effectively get the ball to playmakers in space under Chev's offense. Do you think deep pass plays will be called more, less, or the same than in prior years. Yeah, he's that's his whole philosophy with this being hurry up all the time is getting the ball to the playmakers in space, but it's going to be a lot of short stuff. Yeah, for sure, but I do think they need to throw the ball deep more. I thought they didn't do that enough last season, and they have a lot of very physical big receivers on this team. you got to throw some jump balls and trust guys like Jawan Winfrey and LaVisca Chenault to go get it. It's really as simple as that. I mean, even KB on Entu is skinny, but he's got a 40-inch vertical. I mean, most people on the planet don't have a 40-inch vertical, so use it to your advantage. Uh, you know, like it's it, Montez probably isn't the best deep ball thrower, but I don't think with these guys he's got to be. I mean, you have an athletic advantage on almost anyone with those three guys downfield. you got to take some chances. Yeah. Who's your daddy buff asked? Is there a plan to try to involve our tight ends more in the offense? As in the days of Klopfenstein, Sipniewski, and lastly, Gear, it seems like the tight end has all but disappeared from the CU offense since Gear graduated. Nick Casa had one pretty solid year. 
Well, Chris Bounds, I think, will catch more than two balls this year. Yeah, but you better. Yeah, him or Poplowski, whoever it ends up being, you know. Yeah, I think they'll use them more, but we have six wide receivers who are nasty. I think that's probably who the ball's going to go to more often than not. But I do think Bounds is underrated. He definitely is, especially from a blocking standpoint. At his size, he really maximizes everything, yeah. all of his ability, it seems. More DM 21 asked, I am interested in your insights regarding the less talked about of the 2016 class. We're seeing that Winfrey and Ento, although they transferred in, Bisharat and Udofia are stepping up and having big impacts. We would also have expected Jewel Meese to play a prominent role. Who are guys that you expect to step up this year, provide depth throughout their buff career, or who do you expect to have an impact but simply need more time? He then listed Sam Neuer, Ronnie Blackman, Tariq Roberts, Akil Jones, Darian Rakestraw, Hunter Vaughn, Chance Lytle, and Colby Purcell. The last guy on that list obviously is going to have a massive impact on yeah, this program. The hugest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he's he's the one guy from that 2016 class that you know for sure is going to be impactful. I think Ronnie Blackman can be as well. Uh, just in a special teams perspective, he's probably going to be a returner at some point. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be starting at cornerback or even if they use a nickel, he'll probably won't see as much time there. Akil Jones seems like he's had a good summer. Uh, so we'll see if he gets some PT along with Nate Landman. Uh, obviously next year will be the one year for him, I think, where he starts having a chance to be a starter. Honestly, the rest of the, the guys on the, that list I don't see having a huge impact on this program at any point. I have heard Chance Lytle come up a few times as a guy that's been pretty consistent in practice. I don't expect him to be on the field this year, but if you consider he's still a redshirt freshman, at some point he's probably going to be in the mix for a starting job down the road. Uh, but, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. Sam Neuer, I mean, people kind of write him off, I think, because quarterback recruiting has been pretty darn good within this program the last few years. Mm-hmm. But I'm not ready to write him off quite yet. He's got accuracy, good athleticism. A part of it, it seems like a little bit of nerves in some of those situations because when he's comfortable, he looks really fluid out there as a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to come in the middle of a game for anybody. I mean, you know. So it's, yeah, I could see, you know, if he started three or four games, I think he would start to become more comfortable as time went on. All right, moving along. D. Howe 888 asked, it'd be nice to get an update on the running back position, especially how Virginia Tech grad transferred Trayvon McMillan is shaping up so far. Thanks. And New York Buff 23 similarly asked, any word on how McMillan is settling in? Until they actually practice with the pads on, it's... Tough yeah. to say, but he's, I mean, he's there. He's settled in in Boulder, and uh, he's listed as a co-starter on the depth chart. Uh, there's yeah. five guys that are listed as co-starters. I don't quite believe that Donovan Lee is in the same standing as... I thought it was Kyle Evans that was listed, and then there was, like, four guys that were second string behind him. Oh, is that how it was? I think that okay. is how it was. I yeah. actually have the depth chart here. Yeah. yeah. So I, I found that to be kind of interesting. But, yeah, I think that'll shake out pretty quick here. I actually don't have it with me, so never mind. Um, yeah, yeah. Today you'd have to think McMillan one, Fontenot two, Kyle Evans three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think those are the guys that are going. I don't know. They're going to put Bisharat in there just because they feel like they have to somewhere. Um, I don't know. I'm just hoping he can be useful on the goal line, maybe. But we'll see. I think Bisharat could be something, but don't. 
try to make him Ryan Nall. He's not a big back like that. Nope. Not even close. <laughs> and Ryan Nall's faster than him, too. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> Ryan Nall is what he can be. It's like Ryan Nall was very fast and also huge. <laughs> Most people aren't those combinations. <laughs> I mean, at the very least, he's... He was last year and will continue to be a special team stud. So. For sure, definitely. I mean, you, you know that he's going to lead the team in special teams points, which is impactful. Dangerous had three recruiting questions. Number one, who is the most important recruiting target that we need to land? We'll start with that one. Uh, Jacob Bandis? Got to be him. Got to be. <laughs> yeah, four-star defensive tackle, moved up, was one of the top players at the opening finals. Has a top eight right now. CU's in that, or he took a visit to Colorado. I, th- I like CU's strategy of getting these guys in first. With these guys that take a long time to decide, though, not good. Sometimes that can backfire. Oh, for sure, hundred percent does. If they take a long time, they're not thinking about Colorado by the end. Well, you still have in-home visits and whatnot, but it, it makes it challenging. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question: How many games do you think we need to win to keep all the current commits on board? I mean, all of them is probably unlikely, just because of how recruiting goes. I mean, there's ebbs and flows. Yeah, you can't predict but, things like, does Clemson offer Braden Huffman-Dixon? Right, that's yeah, his exactly. dream school. Right. You can't predict you know, if that's going to happen. You know, if Alabama starts offering all our guys, we could be 11-1, and one, and one of them is going to go to Alabama, <laughs> probably. So, But to give yourself a chance to try to keep all of them, I think six is the number. Yeah, I think six, you'd feel pretty good. The class would be in pretty good shape. I think seven you got to feel very good. And you just kind of project forward. If this team wins seven games, there's a lot of talent coming back for next year. I mean, of course, they played. They have to have the most difficult schedule in the country next year. <laughs> like their, home, their home schedule is nuts. But you would have to feel pretty good about where the program is moving if this team can get to seven because a lot of these guys are going to be back next year. And his last question was, how many games do you think we need to win to steal someone like Josh Ford or Bandis? A lot. Did I say Josh Ford? I still yeah, have him did, on my you mind. Did, you did. Kyle, Kyle Ford. Ford. Josh Ford is doing a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, him. he is. Yeah, which is awesome for him. Uh, a lot of games. Well, but to your point, let's say they win six games and there's all these guys returning. You can sell that to these recruits and still say, hey, there's still a few spots here where we need guys to come in and contribute right away. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you give yourself a chance at those guys. But, I mean, Jacob Bandis and Kyle Ford are going wherever they want, basically. Uh, you, you would be, I think, nine. nine. To give yourself I was going to say real, eight or more. Yeah, realistic shot there. Okay. All right, Elrod asked, given the success thus far for recruiting skill position players in the 2019 cycle, how warranted is the CU fan base for panicking over O-line and D-line recruiting? Are the fans lacking ability to keep things in perspective, or is it just typical CU fans who will never be fully happy and will always find something to complain about? There's a all pretty loaded love. question right there. All of the above is what you say? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of everything where the recruiting skill positions has gone extremely well. The lines, I mean, I think last year's class was terrific. I think some people forget that if the line shakes out the way we think it could, you don't need that many linemen for the next three years. I mean, Colby Purcell, four-year starter. Jake Moretti, potential four-year starter. Will Um, Sherman. Yeah, I mean, Will Sherman. We'll see if, you know, some of these other guys can get back in healthy. 
too that you know that are kind of waiting in the wings. So, I mean, if you have only three positions that you need to fill for the next four years, not too many of these guys need to pan out. Well, O line recruiting is always difficult. A lot of guys like David Bakhtiari, Nate Solder, a lot of these guys that have been their best offensive linemen have not been the highest rated guys coming in. It's that and that's the position that it seems to be the hardest for most people to project because some guys are just bigger earlier than other people and so they get these scholarship offers and other guys mature later and have the same success when they get in college. Yeah. They're just late bloomers. I mean, I think... Between Jake Moretti, Will Sherman, Colby Purcell, and Frank Phillip, you feel pretty good about those four positions moving forward. You know, like, maybe we haven't had the best success at offensive line, but one of those guys will pan out, and then that line has the potential to be really nasty in three years. Yeah. In terms of D-line recruiting, I think big picture, you wait till signing day because mm-hmm. you never know how it's going to shake out. If you want to talk about previous recruiting cycles, then for sure you really talk negatively about their defensive line recruiting. You talk about a five-year stretch where Terrence Lang and Israel Antoine are really your only two prep signees on the defensive line that you really competed against top-level programs for. Right. You can sit here all day and criticize that, but that's why they have a new defensive line coach for that exact reason. Right. I think they have done a really nice job in the JUCO ranks. Is that what you want to do forever? Probably not. But, I mean, Jordan Carell, really good player. Mustafa Johnson, sounds like he's going to be a pretty good player. Javier Edwards was a starter. I mean, you'd like to see him improve this year. You know, Chris Malumba improved a lot last year. So, I mean, they've, they've found impactful guys in the JUCO ranks. But if we're sitting here early December and they still don't have any D-line recruits committed, then it's time to hit the panic button. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think there's still – I mean, if you're hitting the panic button now, I'm not going to fault you. I mean, the defensive line recruiting is the biggest issue with this program right now. Yeah. Quan Drake, we, we like what we've seen from him, but, I mean, this is a big jump up for him coming from Eastern Illinois. This mm-hmm. is it's a lot of pressure on him. All right, Boulder Level 3 asked, I don't see Mangum as a star running back, although I do, do see him as a star athlete. I don't see the shiftiness, quickness, and vision of a scat back or glider or the power of a power back. From watching his film, do you see a star running back? I actually agree. Um, he has some of the same concerns for me as Bo Bichrat. I, I was a little concerned about him coming out. We've seen how that's played out. He hasn't been as impactful as we would have liked. I do think Mangum is more versatile, and he's got better size right now. Um, so he's got that over Bichrat for sure. But I could see him being a guy. I mean, I don't think he's going to be a Heisman candidate. I, th- I think he's probably rightfully ranked at just under four stars. Uh, I know that people are going to be pissed off that he got downgraded, but I honestly think that's about right. You can say, oh, he has all these offers, but if you really are looking into it, he's not being actively recruited by a lot of those programs. So, you know, just be realistic. He's a, he's a really good player that will help this program for sure, but, I mean, he's not a top 100 player in the country. I think that's fair to say. And we have heard that he was injured last year. Yeah. So it'll be good to see some senior film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's had to you know, sh- split carries in high school. So I'm kind of sitting back waiting. I want to see what his senior film looks like when he's 100% healthy out there. He looked pretty good at CU's camp last summer. Yeah, I mean, physically, for sure. I, I mean, I didn't think he was working as hard as some of the other guys, but he's got 40 offers. So you don't want to get hurt. I mean, I, I get all that. Yeah. 
But yeah, from a physical standpoint, he definitely stood out at that camp for sure. Buff in Vegas asked, there always seems to be recruiting drama the last week leading up to signing day. Which current Buff commit could you see signing elsewhere? For example, he used Xavier Newman. And what position group do you see a stealing a quality recruit like D-line with Israel Antoine? So which current Buff commit could you see signing elsewhere? Cameron Ferrari is kind of cheating because I think that's the <laughs> obvious one right now that we're most concerned about. Uh, I mean, Braden Huffman Dixon, I would say, is probably the other one that doesn't seem quite as dialed in as the other guys. Yeah, those are the two that stand, stood out to me as well. Now, if CU doesn't go to a bowl game and they have a coaching change, Ty Evans is going to look around. Mm-hmm. If this staff is intact, I think he's as solid as can be, as we've seen. With, he's been very adamant on, in social media and in every interview, very consistent. But uh, I think he wants a stable situation to go into. Yeah. So uh, maybe even Mangum, if there's you know coaching shake shakeup, just maybe some other schools get the mix. If he's healthy and looks really yeah, good if this he really season. blows up this year, I could see people starting to get back involved with him, especially Michigan State. I mean, if he has a huge year, he's right in their backyard. They're going to be able to see him. So, you had mentioned that Don Chapman did really well at USC mm-hmm. camp. Um, they had offered him, but he wasn't necessarily top priority. What happens if he has a fantastic senior season? Yeah, I mean, if they start going after him hard, you know. It wouldn't surprise me, I guess. Um, they have guys higher on their board that, you know, I mean, usually they get the guys they want, so it might work out for us. But they do like Don Chapman, and, you know, if a few of those don't pan out and they get to a certain you know level on their board, it's possible that Chapman will be that next guy up scenario for them. In terms of position group where they could steal a quality recruit like they did with Antoine, I think it's you got to st- – Stick see with the D-line, right? And you got to see how it plays out. I mean, we'll see how the class shapes up. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a wide receiver either, honestly. I mean, just because they do so well with that. And if there's a four-star available at the end of the year, you got to feel pretty good about Shev's chances of landing one of those guys late. And, I mean, they're not going to turn down big-time wide receiver talent if they got space. Yeah. Black and gold Josh asked, who would win a Final Four playoff between all-stars of Neuheisel, Barney, Hawk slash Embo, and head coach Mike McIntyre? What's the seeds? I'll leave it up to you to decide the recruited by or graduated under debate for whose team is player is a part of. <laughs> Same question if you choose. Oh, man. man, this, Let's get the football out of here. I got to fully digest this. I should have. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of questions. Of all stars between those, well, Newheisel inherited a lot of players. Is he? I mean, he would probably have to be the number one seed, right? Yeah, him or Barnett. I would think so for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would have, I would have said probably New one. I mean, Hawk and Embo is definitely last for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> you could make arguments for McIntyre and Barnett. One way or the other. I mean, I think McIntyre, the top-end season was better than anything Barnett put together, in my opinion. Uh, Especially just, like, where he had to climb from to get there. Barnett was probably more consistent so far. So, I'll give Barnett the two and McIntyre the three. Well, if if these are games, are they then being coached by those coaches? Yeah. Then I would say Gary Barnett is going to win this playoff. Because he'd have... Pretty good talent, maybe not quite to New Heisel, but he would at least 
have the coaching advantage on him for sure. I could even see uh, all-stars. McIntyre through his time, if you could piece together the best players, could compete. There's some good ones for sure. I think line is where you're going to be in trouble, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, going to get blown off the ball. Hawk and Embo are getting shut out in this this game. I mean, they do get Solder. They do. And Jimmy Smith. That's pretty good. Pretty good one, too. He said, same question if you choose for basketball, for pre-patent, patent, buzz, and boil. Tad boils one. It's not even close. Yeah, but if you go pre-patent, are we talking back to like the 1920s? Like, yeah, but I mean, all those dudes are going to be played, like five eight. against <laughs> six-foot white centers. Like, I'll take Tad Boyle. <laughs> like, yes, if you include 60 years, there's obviously a lot of good players for CU. During well, Patton would have Chauncey and David Harrison on his team. Yeah. I guess that's true, too. But Delic, I think he would get the rights to Alec Burks because he would be yes, the yeah. Corey would. Higgins. Yeah. Nah, I'm still taking it. Boyle's team would be so deep. It's true. So deep. Yeah. Plus Spencer Dinwiddie. The GOAT. Yep. All right, some basketball topics before we sign off. We have not done a show since George King got selected by the Phoenix Suns. He signs a two-way contract there. I just need to keep my mouth shut about which guys from the basketball program are or are not going to get drafted. Andre Robertson, I thought it was a mistake for him to leave early. He's a first-round oh, yeah. draft pick. You're crazy for that one. Well, I, no one thought he was going to be a first-round pick, though. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's revisionist history. No, it's not. I'll go find all the tweets. Find I was find I was I was hard on the Andre Robertson train going leaving early. Well, it's different with George King. It was more just his oh, age because yeah, I mean, NBA teams usually aren't going to draft a guy that old. You can certainly not hammer yourself for thinking George King's not getting drafted. I mean, that was... The odds would have been in your favor heavily there. Yeah, I mean, it's simply... That's... Every time someone asks me, I just said he's too old. So, I mean, it's an amazing story. I, I, I do find it interesting that a lot of people nationally don't think we're going to be that good next year because we lost George King. I'm just like, draftable George King was not the guy we saw on the court for a good portion of last year. So, I don't know. We'll see. But it's an amazing story, and I hope it works out for him. Because he does have NBA tools and size. It's just, you know, he's 24. It's hard to compare him against guys who are 19. Yeah. Derek White scored 23 points in 37 minutes of summer league action. Also had six assists and five rebounds in those limited summer league minutes. It sounds like he's, uh, especially with, uh, how does he factor in with that that team now that Kawhi Leonard's gonna, out and DeRozan's coming in? He's going to play legitimate minutes for that team. You know, I guess he, you'd say he's probably the backup point guard right now, but they're going to slide him in at the two as well in some spots. They love him, and they should. He's a really, really good player. Uh, just smooth, consistent. I think he has a chance to have a maybe not quite to the same level that Spencer Dinwiddie did this past year, but a very impactful year. Unfortunately, Team Colorado, they lost in the second round of the TBT. It seems like they've kind of kept this nucleus intact while that tournament gets more and more talent every year. It's just right. tough when you like the overseas elite. They're bringing all these guys versus just Colorado alumni. It's kind of hard at this point right, to yeah. compete that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's. I like the whole concept of the whole thing, but honestly, this year I was a little bit burned out on it. 
because you look at all these other teams and their level of talent, and it's, everyone's like, oh, they have a chance to win this year, and it's like, come on, man. Some of these teams have, like, seven former NBA guys on it. That's just not that realistic. And it's, I don't know, you could kind of talk about how they were, this is the last run. So, yeah, that, I think they've got to find out a new way to do it, maybe. I'd love, even if they're not in the TBT, for those guys to kind of keep that core around and maybe come back and still scrimmage with the current I'll, players. Yeah, I think they somehow, should turn it into a charity event. It'd be awesome. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. The Buffs have just one scholarship for 2019 recruiting. There's no guarantee it'll be an early signee. We're at the very end of the July evaluation period here. And with basketball recruiting, most recruits get to the end of this period and they find out, okay, these are my options, and then they start scheduling their visits. It's still kind of hazy in terms of you know, which guys might potentially take an official visit to see you. I got a list of four guys. I put that on the message board recently. Boyle likes to be flexible, especially with just one scholarship. It Definitely. could be a late signee, a transfer as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no reason to get somebody now. I mean, there's still a lot of evaluation left to do. And I think he... You know, he's going to have to see how this team shakes out because I think there's a couple guys in the roster that if it doesn't pan out this year, there's going to be a few more spots opened up as well. So there's, I mean, a little bit of flux in what this program is going to do this year. So I, I like that he's being patient with it and he can kind of fill in the gaps. I think there's a few spaces where we feel like this guy's going to be really impactful and we might not need to fill a spot there, but we got to see it. You know, like if, if Walton is a stud Pac-12 player, you don't really need to worry about big man as much. You know, if having baddies a solid backup as well. So you kind of kind of see how it plays out. One benefit to just having one scholarship for 2019 as opposed to having four and having to evaluate a ton of 2019 guys is you can kind of look ahead. They've spent a ton of time this summer and spring looking at 2020 guys. So it kind of gives you a jump start for next year, which is a benefit maybe for some other schools that have to more focused in on 2019. Yeah, and there's not a ton of in-state guys over the next few years. So I think, you know, they, they can kind of formulate where they need to go around the country a little bit better. Andy Katz ranked McKinley Wright as the 20th best returning player in college basketball. Somebody's paying attention. Yeah. I mean, simply, there are people, <laughs> it's, it blows my mind how quiet people still are about McKinley Wright. I mean, he's going to be special this year. And it, it kind of makes me laugh that people aren't talking about him in a bigger way. Are you concerned that he could blow up this year and potentially leave early? Or no. is that still not kind of in the... the I mean, it is. Some people think that. I, he's just too small and he's not a good enough shooter. All right. Yeah, enough. I mean, it's, I... I I'm not going to sit here and say I hope he plays at CU for four years and be selfish. If he can make the NBA, that's awesome. And obviously kids improve, but he's got a big hill to climb just from a size perspective, I think. Boyle had some comments about Tyler Bay kind of taking that next step. This is a guy that I think, I mean, you saw it in flashes last year, but when it clicks, it's he's going to just take off. I mean, if Tyler Bay becomes a draft prospect this year, this team is going to be nasty. Like, really good. So, you know, obviously I hope for that to happen. And I do think he will end up being an NBA player. And Gatling transferring in, giving you some three-point punch there. Uh Uh, What are your – I mean, we'll get into basketball more, but what are kind of your expectations 
for the squad sitting here in July, late July? I think they're. I mean, they're a lot of people are picking them to finish eighth or ninth in the conference right now. That's ridiculous. That's crazy to me. I think they're a team that has a good chance to make the tournament. Um, and if they don't, they'll be right on the cusp the whole way through. I mean, they have a legitimate lead guard, number one thing you need in college basketball. They got flexibility, youth, talent. I mean, they even have some pretty good size on this team this year. So, to me, I, I'm, I feel like I'm missing something with how quiet people have been about them nationally. All right, Tyler, I think that wraps up this show. We'll come back before the season opener and kind of break down what we've consumed during preseason camp and and get you ready for the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you later in August.